So, how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You seen anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. How do we start this thing, Steve? Oh. <laughs> um, hey, everybody. It's been a while. We do a still... Well, we're occasionally still podcasting. I'm Steve Haskin. <laughs> Is that how we're going to start? Or did oh, you yeah, actually, I, I thought that, that was the start. Well, we'll try it again. Oh, okay. No, take it's fine. Two. It's fine. We'll take two here. Hold on. Hey, everybody. Oh, hold on. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got a clean start. Hand time. All right. We are back. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin. Yeah, we're still driving around. We, we got a little lost along the way, so uh, we haven't done one of these things in uh, in. A few months, right, Steve? It's been a minute, as the kids say. It, yeah. it has. It has. And uh, we said a long time ago that, uh, you know, we have to get excited to do these things. That's right. That's... Psyched. Our... And, uh, we don't have a, this is not a paid position. We don't we have no sponsors. <laughs> so um, sometimes uh, you got to wait. That's right. And uh, we thank you for waiting and occasionally listening to us when we do decide to do these things. But... 2017 just uh, went by, and uh, it was actually not a bad year for movies, right, Steve? Yeah, it was pretty good. I saw a lot of things. I kind of got uh, slightly more excited about movies. Yeah, I feel the same way. It wasn't a crappy year. It was a, certainly a better year than 16 before it, and it wasn't the kind of year where all you can talk about are the new TV shows, which yeah. there's still plenty of good ones. But the stuff in the cinema was okay. Like, the mainstream stuff was occasionally decent, and... Uh, uh, you know, kind of off the beaten path stuff was actually really quite good this year. Yeah, I uh, to me it was almost a, a comeback of the blockbusters for me. You know, not yeah. everyone, but uh, a lot of the big movies, the big uh, tentpole type things, were uh, fairly satisfied as that goes. Yeah, which I, I was delighted by. I mean, I I didn't see the Transformers movie because I, <laughs> I I don't see any of those <laughs> fucking things, but. Um, <laughs> But uh, a lot of the other stuff, like, you know, even Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came out. I know a lot of people had issues with it. I also don't think it was as good as the first one, but for... <laughs> I don't think the first one was as good as the first one. Yeah. I was quote, unquote. For uh, $10 in entertainment that, you know, I went to with my son, and uh, I had a great time. <laughs> like, I was, I didn't walk out of the theater being like, well, that hurt my brain. Like, yeah. you know, it didn't insult me by yeah. its existence, and... Uh, well, I mean, listen, any film that co-stars Kurt Russell's facial hair is not bad, right? Ah, there I mean, you it go. It has yeah. something going for it. And that movie has a huge, huge Kurt Russell facial hair accoutrement. So uh, I at least enjoyed that. Uh, and I agree with you. The Guardians wasn't that bad. And uh, there were actually really, really good big uh, studio releases. I mean, the most recent one was the Star Wars movie. What is that called? The Force Awakens? The Force Awakens. No. It's not no. The Force Awakens. You're right. It's, it's called The Last, Last Jedi. Jedi. Like, I don't remember what these things are called uh, anymore, Steve. I don't bad. care. It is. The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi, you know, incidentally, false advertising, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you knew that going in. Well, I suppose. But, uh, but not bad. 
you know, I enjoyed that film. What, what did you think of The Last Jedi? I did. I liked it. It's, uh, I've seen it twice, and I have to say, after the second time, I my final thing is I have issues with it. I think it's more, the parts I liked about it outweigh the parts I disliked. Um, you can make an argument it's the most interesting Star Wars film. Not saying the best, but that it tries some things that are unique in the Star Wars yeah, world. Yeah. You know, there's some points of view that are very interesting. Um, the execution of some of that stuff is where you can boggle that I can see how people found parts of it unsatisfied. But, you know, the whole, the film as in, you know, I'm assuming we're not spoiling much or yeah. America's seen Star Wars by this point. But, you know, the, one of the overarching themes of the whole movie is that this kind of gung-ho lone wolf heroism is often not the best tactic. <laughs> yeah. And wow. uh, so, you know, there's a major plot in the middle of the movie where some of our heroes, uh, Finn and Rose, kind of with Poe as their collaborator, <laughs> go on this whole a side sequence. mission. Kind yeah, of but yeah. it's all an elaborate it fails. <laughs> and yes. So a lot of people are really angry about that whole point because the whole thing on the casino planet, everybody is signaled out as kind of one of the worst bits of the film. And you just spend a lot of time on a mission that not only is it a bad idea, but it doesn't even work. Right. So I guess the argument well, is... Well, not only doesn't it work, it actually leads to a horrible setback in their otherwise fairly sound plan. Yeah, that if they had listened to the women's plan and just accepted that they knew what they were doing, things would have been better. So I guess the argument is, could Ryan Johnson have made that point without having a horrible 30 minutes spent on this casino planet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the casino planet was a, was a disappointment because the concept there would was be like be like the what is that, the cantina in in the New Hope in sure. the very first star. You know, it was kind of the sleazy bar of the galaxy. And here they had a swanky casino of the galaxy. I think that they had a lot of potential, but it was totally wasted. Everything was cliched in the casino. And the mission itself was silly. And it also create it was like so Benicio del Toro's in it, right? And he plays technically. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> he, he, it's a, he's a major plot point at yeah, least, yeah. right? What the fuck is Benicio del Toro even doing in that film from an acting perspective? Like, I, I like that guy, and I watched that movie, and I was sitting there like appalled. Like, are they serious? Why are they letting him do this crap? Yeah. I mean, it, it was just it was just the, the most obnoxious performance I've ever seen that guy give. And it was pointless, and it didn't leave any anywhere, and you had no idea where... Like, if you don't understand where you stand with a character, to me, that's a problem. What exactly is he trying to do with the characterization? And is it, in fact, distracting to what's actually happening? Yeah, like film? a goofy to the point of you're like, <laughs> this just doesn't fit. Right, and that was the, that was the case for it uh, with me. I, I wasn't a big fan of Laura Dern either, and mainly in her, like, the way she was presented. Like, the way the film presented her... And maybe this was sort of a reversal based on what you were saying. But, you know, the film presented her as not a particularly reliable friggin' character. So you can kind of, you go along when Poe says, hey, she's kind of a moron. I'm going to take take the law into my own hands and do my own thing, which turned out to be a huge mistake for him. But uh, uh, but you know what I mean? I don't know. Did you did you like Laura Dern in, in this, in this I performance? Had, I guess I leaned slightly towards no. 
when she yeah. first appeared, it's one of those, uh, and I never would have thought this until it happened, but all of a sudden I was hit with the fact that Laura Dern became too big for me to be that role. That I was just, I'm like, oh, it's Laura Dern, as opposed to whatever her character was. Right. Now, that said, I generally like Laura Dern. I, I liked her payoff, and I liked. You know, I, I joked with my wife that one of the takeaways of that movie is, you should always remember, don't fuck with Laura Dern. <laughs> <laughs> so I enjoyed being able to say that about it. I but, know. Um, you know, and she had some good moments in that. I liked it when she basically told Poe he was full of shit. But um, it just, I thought that role would have worked better with a less well-known actor. Well, yeah, but again, I think the whole characterization was weird. It was like Ryan Johnson was almost... Was, was was almost messing with us. Like, like you know, Laura Dern in that movie basically comes in as a replacement because Leia is incapa- incapacitated. Yeah. Uh, so everybody who's totally with Leia for probably decades from, from that group of people uh, all of a sudden has to deal with a new commander. And Laura Dern saunters in there in a ridiculous, like, ball gown. And I, I actually understand why... You know, people were like a little bit like, huh? Yeah. What the hell is that? What's up with that? Why will why the purple hair? That's a characterization that goes beyond just an actor, you know, that's an overall concept for a character. And I didn't really get that concept. I didn't understand like I yeah. didn't understand why that was I mean well, they were freaking could, rebels. Why was she dressed like that? You said the purpose is, yeah, to uh you know, the the themes of like maybe the women know more what they're doing, but yes, that could have been executed a little better. Similarly <laughs> to you know, like, I walked out of it having liked it, and uh, my son, who's nine, loved it, uh, partly because he thought it was really funny. Like, his his uh-huh. gut reaction when people were like, what do you think? His first words out of his mouth were, it was hilarious. But it also featured some of the dumbest things I've ever seen in a Star Wars movie. I mean, everybody, the floating space Mary Poppins of yeah, Leia was yeah. really, really bad. Yeah. And, it wasn't you know, people well argued, executed either. Well, people like, said it, the, look it looked good. horribly CGI-ish. Like, in a film that has, like, much of, like, I mean, state-of-the-art special effects that look fantastic. It looked like Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man movie really level bad. of CGI. Yeah. And I get the point of, like, is Leia ever going to do anything with the Force before she dies? And But that was bad. Now, the flip side... The things I like, I continue to like the characters. Like, to me, the best thing about The Force Awakens, a film that to me has actually kind of aged well, is that, you know, the plot wasn't anything original, but they nailed, to me, the important part of, they introduced these new characters who I liked. Like, I gave a shit about these new characters. Right. And, and they continue, like, I think Ray's interesting. I think Kylo Ren is interesting. Their relationship was great. I loved that they took... Uh, being a Jedi out of this whole like blood right type of thing. Yeah, I'm that, just, I'm uh, not sure that, that, that yes, yeah, totally agree. And and, uh, and that's a point of contention. There are a lot of people who don't like that they they feel ripped off that they were set off to feel like oh Ray's parents are going to be this big reveal. I actually kind of really enjoyed that Ray's parents wasn't a big reveal because I I got tired of in Star Wars or even Harry Potter and things. I dislike this. Uh, this kind of monarchy, the, arist- the aristocracy yeah, concept. Yeah, like you know, like the best people. You were born into your. Yeah, very it's in your blood, and if it so, that means of course the reverse is if you weren't born into this yeah. awesome bloodline, then you're shit, right? Like you're never going to be the real. Right. 
Well, they've established that these midichlorians are what makes Yeah, Jedi. see, that was, and I kind of like that yeah. Ryan Johnson, without specifically having a line that says that midichlorians thing is bullshit, he basically established that the midichlorians thing is bullshit and just, like, he just ignored it. Right. You know, and just moved on with the, his whole concept of the Force is, a, is literally a force that's out there. Right, right. And, and any, people, anybody could People could can tap into it. it, but, you know, you're right. not, it's not a thing that you're, like, born or not born with. I'm not sure he, he completely de- demolished the midichlorian concept, but well, he definitely he, he just he de- made it. You don't talk about it. Yeah, I mean, and what is it? And it was a stupid fucking concept. Well, that's what I mean. So, like, place, with, it well, was, that, it was dumb. I feel like what he did is without having to bluntly say, hey, George Lucas, that was a dumbass idea, mm-hmm. he can just kind of ignore it and present some other ideas. And if you want to, you could find a way to make that work within his ideas. Or you can just be like, you know what, I'm just going to ignore the midichlorians, which is what I tried to do for, you know, years now. Um, right, but I, I also I quite liked Mark Hamill in this movie, and uh, I liked Luke's whole character arc. Yeah, so uh, I, I like the play on a big screen again. Yeah, and I I just thought he was good. He was entertaining. He was funny, and uh, his payoff scene. You know, when he first walked into that cave, I'm like, this is bullshit. But then it was the hologram thing. I got really. I'm like, oh, I actually kind of enjoyed that. <laughs> Yeah, also, no, no, that was all, that was very good. Can we I just like also a quick shout out. That was the best Yoda scene. Since the eighties, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, yes, yes. It was better than any single Yoda scene in those prequels. I know, I know. It was, it was. Uh, I, anyway, I like the Star movie. Wars. The thing about Star Wars, Steve. The thing about Star Wars, of course, is we can talk about it a lot because actually, and and that's a sign of a decent movie is that this movie has provoked conversations among people True. on various things about what Star Wars is, what it's supposed to be, what it could be. And, I mean, I think that's rare when a movie like that, who's like a tenth sequel or whatever it is, is now uh, is still kind of promoting discussion that, that goes beyond just story dynamics or, or missteps. It, it's actually kind of interesting. It, 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 there, there is conversation about it uh, that has to do with social issues that are current, which makes the movie relevant. I, I, I enjoyed a lot of it, and I enjoyed it overall as a film. I felt I felt good walking out of it. Yeah, so, I mean, some good set pieces. That throne yeah. room scene's pretty cool. Exactly, exactly. Was it the best blockbuster of the year, in your opinion? Who? I don't know about that. That's a contender. You know, the other ones I liked, um, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh-huh. Which so I long think, ago, it does seem so long ago, and everybody's kind of fatigued from Spider-Man movies, which I oh, understand. God, God. But I will say, I watched it again recently, and uh, I think that is the best Spider-Man movie. <laughs> right. Okay. Like, better than any of the Sam Raimi ones, mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's the best one. Like, the kid's great. Uh, Michael Keaton actually has a very... Love Michael Keaton in that It's a very film. good villain I know, I There's know. a reveal in that movie that I did not see coming. <laughs> you know? I know. And, uh, I, I know. watched it with other people it's and they were also like, it I didn't know. Yeah. And, and Keaton is really great in that movie because he's, he, he's not just like a foaming at the mouth villain no. at all. But still sinister. 
I mean, like the scene where he confronts Peter in the car. There is like a genuine edge to it. Oh, he's, like, he could be scary. There's no question about yeah. it. I'm not. But but you know what I mean? So like, like there's a there's gradations of evil, and that guy is not there. You yeah. know, he's not at that ultra gradation of evil. Correct. He certainly you know tries to do some crazy stuff. It's good. The other kids are good. I really liked his friend Ned. He's great. <laughs> like you know, I mean, Side, someone's a, good sidekick. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Thor Ragnarok was a lot of fun. Is that how you pronounce it, Steve? Ragnarok. Ragnarok, I'm pretty sure. I always pronounce it differently every time. Well, how do, how do you Reg, do it? Ragnarok, sometimes I'll pronounce wow. it. Rag. I don't know, wait, I think it's just the... You could be right. I'm probably just doing the Americanized, like, you know, like, what is the most Midwest way I can say this? Yes, yes. It's, uh, Notre Dame. It's hilarious that they actually called it that, but but uh, the, movie's, the movie is super fun. Yeah, you know, and and uh, and I, th- for my money, that was probably my favorite of the big blockbusters yeah. of the year. They they really, I think Marvel movies may be at their best in the comedic mode or the super dramatic mode. There may there there's like you either go all all in on the comedy or all in on the drama, like the Captain America movies do. Yeah, and anything in between just falls feels kind of blah. You know, like if you if you if you don't nail that tone perfectly. It's at this point in the development. Well, maybe, though. I don't know. I would argue Spider-Man, what we just discussed, is kind of a mix. But Spider-Man is... You know what? Spider-Man, to me, goes good... It It's very funny. It's a very it is funny, very funny film. When I was watching Spider-Man, I was thinking, like, oh, it's like, what if John Hughes made a, a superhero movie? That's what it was. Yeah, well, that's what... And, you know, those Andrew Garfield movies, that was, like, the pitch of the first one. Yeah, you know, like yeah. the idea before you saw it was the idea, like, yeah, we're taking Spider-Man back to high school. It's a movie about a high school uh-huh, kid, uh-huh. and it just wasn't work. that at all. Yeah, <laughs> it just was, yeah, yeah, I don't. Even and part of the problem was that they cast like you know very confident twenty-seven-year-olds. That um, always an issue. Yeah. Always an issue. But you know, but I mean, it's always you're always going to have older people playing high school kids. There's no question about that. But uh, but I don't know. It just felt kind of more dynamic in this one and and again it, it was a, it was a, the, the spider-man was good thor ragnarok was i thought was better as, a, as an overall movie and it's a silly movie by the way the yeah thor and uh thor that movie also is maybe the ultimate test of you know there's this thing we've discussed in the past and i don't know if you've ever heard this confirmed or this is just rumor but the way people say these marvel movies work is that marvel will hire a director that they think is kind of interesting and good with actors and has a good tone and then that Marvel Studios has, like, some whole apparatus of folks, camera guys, stunt guys, whatever, that can basically just handle the action in these movies. Mm-hmm. Now, the downside of that is sometimes people complain that the action in the movie seems generic, you know? Right. And But on the flip side is that then that's how they've had these actors come... Uh, not actors, but, you know, even say Kenneth Braun on the first Thor or Joss Whedon... They bring these guys in, and supposedly in the pitch meeting, you know, some of the directors are like, well, you know, I've never directed, like, a big-budget action movie. And everything I've heard is the pitch from Marvel is like, yeah, 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 don't worry about that. We'll help We got that part cut. Yeah. And case in point, Thor Ragnarok is directed by, uh, now here's a name I'm going to butcher, Taika Waititi? Taika Waititi? Yes. Yes. Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. New Zealand director. Previously, has only directed comedies or near comedies. Yeah. Um, I have seen 
at least two of his other movies. What That's, We Do in the Darkness. What We Do in the Shadows. In the Shadows. Yeah, and then also the, I love that. Um, love it. The Wilder People. Haven't seen that. I want to see that. It's okay. Not as good as What We Do in the Shadows. No, and both of those movies, I, you would not watch those movies and be like, this guy can direct a kick-ass action movie. <laughs> like, there's barely any action in any of those movies I, at all. Hey, like, man, there's a cool vampire versus werewolf fight in, in What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> so, but so Marvel hired him, presumably not for his uh, battle, his fight scene choreography, but right. because his, uh, his tone, his touch. Yeah, yeah. And reportedly on this Thor movie, like large, I forget the percentage, but over 50% of the dialogue was supposedly improvised. I That's how they came up with a lot. And uh, Taika himself plays the kind of stone right, creature. Right, right. He's, he's good. Yeah, supposedly he's lots of improvisation on that film. But even for a big budget thing, they just decided to... Uh, well, it was loose and it was fun and it it, it kind of... It, it was comic booky, you know. I mean, it it it, it uh, reminded me of my childhood reading that crap and, uh, and it, in tone and... Uh, and they pulled it off. I mean, yeah. they, they could have not. It didn't have to work, you know, because it had a lot of ridiculous nonsense in it, obviously. But but it did work. You know? Sure. So, yeah, it was it was a good one. But I think this year overall, though, Steve, I think it really was was a decent movie year because of the smaller films. The, yeah. Like like there's we there's other big films we could talk about it, but I think you know like everybody's seen Star Wars and you know Wonder Woman we haven't talked about and that was you know that that's that that was like decent you know decent superhero movie enjoyable beautiful leading lady and just just a good vibe and you walk out pleasantly uh, uh, entertained and then you forget about it like half an hour later yeah. So that's that that's the problem with that kind of entertainment. But with the smaller films, it was kind of like, there was kind of like good good stuff. This yeah, this I felt like a resurgence. It's not quite the glory years of the '90s where you feel like anybody can come out of anywhere that's with right. a great film. I mean, it's that's still right. and Harvey like, Weinstein would give you a lot of money. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, among perhaps anyone on the planet, really wishes it was the '90s. <laughs> um, but it. Yeah, so we're about to discuss some films, and almost all these movies have at least, you know, they've got some name actors that, mm-hmm. you know, the lowest budget of these movies still probably cost millions of dollars. So. Perhaps. But still, like, way cheaper budget than uh, Thor Ragnarok. Or, right. Uh, and uh, people taking chances. Right, right. Well, I mean, the one movie that, that both you and I saw and both you and I really liked was Good Time. Good Time. That yeah. was, that movie is Loved I don't know if I would call that movie a good time from a viewer's perspective, but man, it's uh, it's good and it's fresh and it's uh, very dynamic. Yeah, you know? it's uh, it, for people who haven't heard of this movie. This is a movie about uh, some low-level criminals in New York, and when I say low levels, I don't mean that they're like small-scale mob guys. I mean we're talking about some guys who've done like like the biggest crime they would do is robbing a bank. <laughs> but then they're not above like really smaller hustles on an individual right. scale. Yeah, you know, like yeah. trying to squeeze money out of relatives, things like that. And it's uh, it's about these two brothers. It takes place over like I don't know, thirty, like mostly twenty four hours. Like yeah. there's a little bit before and a little bit after. Maybe less. It's almost like a night. Yeah, you know? it's almost like it takes place overnight. And you watch people like. make a lot of bad decisions, but decisions <laughs> yes. that like in context you can at least see. They're still bad, but you can see how they came to those decisions. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, like you say, it's not. It has some jokes in it, but it's not 
the comedy. It's an no. intense experience. No, it's a crime but, film. But yeah. it's an exciting... It's so good. That, right. You know, I watched it at home, and I got very excited. And to me, it was thoroughly enjoyable. Just a, one of those movies that I really did feel... You know, I'd heard it was really good, but like 45 minutes into it, I was like, you know, this is really good. Like, yeah. you're just hoping they don't boggle the second half of it because you're like... And I feel like they did it. I thought they nailed it. And uh, central to that... You know, the main character in the film is played by uh, Robert Patterson. Robert Pattinson. Pattinson, yeah. R. Pats. Uh, Robert, yeah. From Robert uh, the Twilight movies. Yeah. And, uh, Plus, everybody knows Robert Pattinson. Well, until you see this. <laughs> and he's fantastic. Yeah, he does a great job. He, he just he's, he's very sleazy in the movie. Yeah. But you kind of get to like him. Some... Like, he he's interesting because, you know, most people, like, I, I don't think Robert Pattinson gets a lot of respect from the general viewing public because mainly he's known for those movies. Yeah. And he hasn't really been able to show himself off appropriately. Like and he's he been trying. To. Like, he he's done work with Cronenberg. And, and you, you get the sense he's one of right. these guys who, like, he stumbled into this mainstreamy franchise and it made him, I'm sure, a shit ton of money. It made him a lot of, very famous. Yeah, yeah. And, but now he's, like, interested in taking chances. Yeah, maybe he wants something to prove or whatever. But, you know, and it may be a one-time thing. Who the hell knows? You know, I I just know that, like, he nails this character. And, you know, he's British. The character is, like, from New York. You never, the the accent works, you know. His whole look is very convincing. Oh, yeah, he's a New York hood rat for the whole thing. He's not glamorous. He's kind of a scumbag. You know it. And, And what's cool is because we... We, or at least I did. I don't want to speak for everybody, but for me, I never, never particularly cared for Robert Pattinson. So when he shows up in the film, you start out disliking him, and as the movie progresses, even though he continues to do absolutely despicable acts throughout the film, you you grow to admire him to a certain extent because because of his tenacity, because as that character is constantly thinking on his feet and constantly pivoting depending on the situation. Yeah. And it's very admirable. There and 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 um I I don't want to talk about how the film ends up, but you know that you end up liking that character and I think that's sort of the way you be, you start feeling towards the actor playing the character yeah. too. Well, it's you know? a very it's a frantic film. Yeah. Like you know and uh and both the filmmaking and the performance mm-hmm. really work that it's constantly on mm-hmm. the move. And uh, and that's one thing. It's a great opening that it opens with uh, his brother, played by one of the directors, uh, in mm-hmm. this uh, therapist session. And it's a therapist session. Right. It's very like calm, you know, like mm-hmm. they're trying to elicit and all and, tight uh, close-ups. Yeah, and then Robert Pattinson busts in to get his brother out of it, and right. like from then on, it's like ninety minutes and go. Right. You know, right. like bam. All right, that's enough. Let's go. Let's go. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know. I'm just very impressed by it. those guys, the Safdie brothers. The Safdie brothers. They've made some other movies, which I haven't seen yet. I'm excited to go. I don't know about you, Andre, but I kind of enjoy when you discover like somebody you really like and they have other work. You can then, like, oh, I'm going to work backwards now and check out. Like, yeah. Well, there's a couple of good filmmakers who who like kept making good smaller films, like that guy Taylor Sheridan. Did a movie called Wind River this this year that I really like. Yeah, it's a very good film with Jeremy Renner, and it's basically a detective movie, but it's set in Wyoming. It's kind of a western. It's got a lot of Indians in it. It's got a lot of really really good actors, and uh, and it's just a strong strong movie. It's satisfying. It's dramatic. It's cool. It's got an interesting setting, and 
it's the same guy that did uh, Hell or High Water uh, with Chris Pine uh, and uh, Jeff Bridges, and actually a great, great cast. So this guy sort of re apparently really likes the Western, <laughs> but he p makes it into a modern film, and, and, uh, and this Wind River is very, very good. I really, I mean, I've recommended it to several people, and anybody who's tried watching it, really, really likes it. So I, I recommend it to you as well. It's, it's, it's a good, good picture. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah. again, it li like, like, and another, another director that's, um, there's a guy named Ben Wheatley who did a movie called Free Fire that came out last year. Yeah. He's got a, a bunch of, it's like a drug heist gone wrong, right? It's it's actually a gun no, deal yeah, gone, a gun deal wrong. wrong. That's right. And it's just you know, and I watched it again. I watched it a couple of times, and that is a fun like action shoot 'em up character piece. I think that's that's got a, all the makings of like kind of a cult movie, like a in Bruges kind of a deal. Uh, it's got a lot of really good actors: Army Hammer, Brie Larson. Uh, that guy from South Africa, Chato Copley, who's always entertaining oh, yeah, in yeah. movies. And uh, and Killian Murphy, uh, who's kind of the star of the movie or the protagonist, but everybody's a protagonist in that movie. It's all based on individual characters. It's full of these great British and, and American actors. It's got all kinds of weird cameos. And it's just people shooting at each other for basically 90 minutes. Uh, but uh, but beyond, but it also has a very good, clever script and kind of a nihilistic approach to it where again like in a good time you're following characters and you're making judgments on them based on their immediate actions you know and that's always an interesting thing like you're continually changing your allegiances you know that you start a movie liking these guys but then you start liking these guys more or you, you lock in with this character and then he proves to be kind of a scumbag so you move into another character who initially seemed like a scumbag but may not be uh, and that it's it's got that very flowing kind of allegiance thing from be, between characters and audience members that I really like and it's nice and tight it's not a you know it's a genre film so it's not a it's not going to change your uh, view on uh, on the universe but uh, it's uh, certainly an entertaining uh, ride but you know Obviously, it's a violent film, so if uh, you, you're, you don't feel like watching violence, that's probably not uh, not not the one for you. But yeah, I saw uh, an interesting movie. I saw was the Killing of a Sacred Deer, which is uh, the new movie by this uh, Greek filmmaker who's kind of been making a name for himself, Yorgos Lanthimos. I heard great things about that. Movie. Yeah, he did The Lobster <laughs> most recently. Before this, you know, he's making movies in Greece before then. He made one called Dog Tooth, Dog so that Tooth. got a lot of press and. Uh, you know, and the lobster is, I love the lobster. I saw it mm -hmm. a lot later. It's very deadpan. It kind of reminds me of um, Jarmusch films mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, everything's delivered in a slightly deadpan but comedic way. And so what was interesting is The Killing of a Sacred Deer is not at all a comedy. It's a movie with a lot of, like, a moral dilemma. Mm -hmm. And, but done almost in the same style. So it was kind of interesting to see those two films back to back and see how you could have like a certain delivery and just tone, but apply it to different genres. And uh, even with some of the same actors, like um, Colin Farrell, who is the lead, he's the lead in both movies. Right. And, um, and there's similarities in the performance based mostly on the delivery. But it's kind of an interesting world to enter into. You have to imagine any actor in these movies just signs on for this certain type of tone. 
And Colin Farrell turns out to be surprisingly versatile at it. Like, he really <laughs> fits in in this world. Uh-huh. And uh, But The Killing of a Sacred Deer, is, it's a dark film. Mm-hmm. And um, and all these movies don't take place. The Lobster very much is not in our current reality. Mm-hmm. And The Killing of a Sacred Deer is also, like, a little warped. Like, you know, it seems a reality, but some things go on that make you think it's not exactly... Uh-huh. Um, but uh, that was a disturbing movie. I will say one of the things about that movie that was infuriating is that you know it's about a moral dilemma. And what seemed like the obvious choice, like no one's even discussing. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not even on the table as one of the options. Right, right. Uh, but again, in this world where um, you, know, you see movies that, even movies that are well done, and you're like, oh, that was great, but you know, like, like I've seen all this before. You know, like I just, and what I like about the killing of a sacred deer, and what I liked about you know Get Out, we've talked about before, Uh is a good time as well. Yeah, I enjoyed the experience of not knowing where it's going. Right, exactly. You know, of like having to figure out like what is this world? It's unexpected. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you get from smaller films, and and that's what you should get. That they just you just enter into the story, and then you got to figure it out as it goes along. They don't just lay out for you like, okay, you know, here's the parameters of this world, and here's what you need to know. Like, no, just plop you in the middle of it. Well, they don't have to conform to anything. That's that's really, I think, part of the problem with the big blockbusters is that they all have to conform to some kind of preconceived expectations. It doesn't matter how good they are. Like, if they're able to change, switch it up like Thor does, it's great, but they're still conforming to specific expectations. So there's, they can never truly surprise you that much. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, in Thor, like, they land on a new planet, and somebody has to come and explain to them what goes on on the planet. Yeah. You know, like, you can't just... So they just get Jeff Goldblum to do it. Yeah, but, I mean, you can't... In some of these smaller films, there'd be the equivalent of that, and there's no explanation scene. Yeah. Like, things will happen, and you have to figure out, like, oh, this is how this world works. Right, and there's more of a discovery aspect. There's also discovery of new talent. Like, like I saw this movie called Sweet Virginia. That's an... Like, it's is it named fairly, after the Stone song? I don't know. I don't okay. know why it's named that. Everything is named for a Stone song or some kind of a rock song. But 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 it's called Sweet Virginia, but it takes place like in Wyoming or something like that. And it's it's current day, and it's just this character study of this ex-rodeo guy. John Bernthal plays him. And uh, he's got a big beard, and you know he's kind of a stoner. And, uh, and he befriends this drifter played by Christopher Abbott and kind of discovers that this drifter is basically a murderer and uh, and it's 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 a very small film I mean it's so it, it's so intimate but the acting is so good and the narrative is so good and so surprising and this this guy Christopher Abbott is amazing I've never seen him before but uh, you'll definitely see him again because man is he creepy in that movie and there's absolutely nothing intrinsically creepy about the the guy physically he's a normal good looking actor dude but his performance is so freaking weird and impactful I uh, I really really recommend that film mainly on the strength of that performance he's really unexpected yeah another small film I saw that was really interesting was called A Ghost Story and it's ah, uh, the I latest film that. by this director named David Lowry you know he made a David film Lowry called from a... Cracker? no no Cracker? no much yeah. younger yeah uh, um, he made this movie called Ain't Them Bodies Saints and um, kind of with a lot of the same people, the same leads, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck made a new movie called A Ghost Story. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he made some smaller films, some shorts, 
And then kind of got picked up. He made the Pete's Dragon remake, oh, that, uh, which I haven't seen, which I've heard is quite good. But then A Ghost Story is this very small, in every sense of the word, it's like 90 minutes long, and it's about this character who dies and then comes back as a ghost and kind of haunts. I mean, haunts by haunts, I mean like he's he's around right. um, the place where he died. But the movies, it's very, um, it's not creepy. It's more sad. And it's it, it's one of the quietest movies I've seen in a long time. Like long stretches where the only sound is kind of the ambient sound of whatever room or environment they're in. Okay. But a very quiet, soft film, but still has some shocking moments and has some really kind of interesting, deep ideas about what would happen in the afterlife. Like, you know, like there are... The ghost in the movie seems to experience time different from us, and that's something you kind of figure out. Again, it's not thrown out for you, like, you know, hey, everybody, here's how ghosts work in our movie. But you watch it, and uh, you think it's it's very interesting. Um, Yeah, I like that movie quite a lot. It has a central conceit, which I'm going to say, and you're going to be like, that sounds like a load of bullshit. How's that even going to work? And it works just fine, and that's the ghost is literally wearing a white sheet with black eye holes. Like, it looks like the most generic version of a ghost you could think about. And I can see how the argument would be that for this movie, like, wow, that sounds like some indie movie bullshit, right? Uh-huh. That, right. Like, like, I'm not going to spend any time or money on the ghost. It's just going to be like a dude in a sheet. But it's actually, there are effects and things in this movie that are very well executed. I, I read and, about that, actually, yeah, how they do use use effects in a very simple way. It's, and I thought cool. it worked. I mean, you know, I can see how somebody else might be like, that didn't do it for me. I couldn't get over the fact that, you know, one of the main characters is a guy in a sheet. But I found it very effective. And, yeah, a ghost story. I recommend that if you're looking for something different. Yeah, that's 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 interesting. There, there's there's another indie movie that that I thought had some actually very interesting effects uh and that was baby driver now that got a lot of attention i I don't know i don't know if you saw that one you know i still haven't seen it which is amazing to me because i love edgar wright yeah and uh i guess you could argue if that's an indie it's an indie a smaller movie yeah but still right i mean it is a movie made by at this point a fairly major director i would say that's probably a 30 million dollar budget yeah okay i would i would put it at that yeah well, Kevin Spacey's in it too. Oh yeah, uh, and you know, one of the last times you'll see him on screen. Man. Yeah, it'll probably be a while. <laughs> He'll come back as a very elderly man. But uh, uh, yeah, that was very good. I, I really like Baby Driver. It's kind of cool. It's got a cool vibe. It's a good time. It's kind of touching in parts. The acting's good. It's got good action. It's actually. Has some good driving in it, you know. Ah, yeah, really that's fun good. Driving yeah. scene, unlike uh, that movie Drive. Well, I like the movie Drive. No, there yeah, was yeah. way not enough driving. There was there was some, and it was good, but you know, it was not exactly a car uh, car chase spectacular that a lot of people were expecting. Whereas Baby Driver delivers on that front like ten times over, so that's kind of fun. And uh, and then there's the star-driven small film, you know, where they take an old movie star and give him a big for for some kind of recognition and come back. Uh, sure. And that, that was the hero last year with Sam Elliott, everybody's favorite mustache. Yeah. Uh, and he's actually great, and that movie is very good. It's just like, it's uh, it's mellow, it's chill, you know. But it asks some interesting questions about getting old in this country and uh, 
and uh, how we think of our celebrities and how celebrities have to, have to think of themselves once they're no longer celebrities and all that stuff. And he's awesome. I mean, he's he's been great actor for many years, but you know, he obviously gets way typecast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he's so good at those roles, you know, and he's always managed to bring in like a level of. Uh, nuance to even the most basic characters that he got to play over the years and uh and in recent years i've seen him do some villains too which he's really really good at like sam elliott's really fucking scary if he wants to be <laughs> i can picture that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I, totally man and uh and but he doesn't he's not scary in this movie what's well, like the flip side of the uh you know like not giving a shit you know what I mean? Like you right. can have a heroic guy who's like, I, I don't care what you're doing, but then yeah. like, I can see how you can, you know, tweak that a little, and it becomes a more sinister. Like, wow, this guy just doesn't care. Yeah, yeah, you can, absolutely. You can you can like flip a switch from like, oh, he's a cool guy protagonist like Clint Eastwood, to like he's a complete fucking psychopath, uh, and have like that same performance essentially work exactly the same way. Sam Elliott uh, has, has done some varieties of that, some of it on TV and so forth, but, uh, but that movie, The Hero, is definitely worth watching. It's, you know, it's kind of a grown-up movie about grown-up concerns, and that's always, uh, that's always nice to see yeah. these days, Steve, uh, being uh, grown-up and everything. But, uh, <laughs> okay, so Andre, were there any other uh, like smaller films you kind of recommend to folks that you saw? Well, I kind of like the Logan Lucky movie too, the the Soderbergh film yeah. with uh, Adam Driver and uh, Channing Tatum and uh, Daniel Craig. And, yeah, the, uh, the comeback of Soderbergh, right after. Well, his, uh, you know, yeah, I'm. I, six you know, months retirement. I just I hate yeah. the whole retirement scam. It's such yeah. bullshit. I hate it when they start talking about it. I hate it when Daniel Day Lewis is doing it. it it's nonsense. It's, it's I had a friend it's who was absurd. That, I have a friend who's a big Daniel Day Lewis fan and. You know, I had dinner with her, and she's like, afterwards, she saw the thing about him retiring. She goes, how come he didn't tell me that he was retiring? I'm like, I don't know, because nobody fucking believes it. Like, everybody just assumes at some point, five years from now, he'll magically be in a movie, but... I mean, it's like, if you want to retire, just retire, you know? <laughs> like, announcing big retirement is basically a publicity stunt. That's all it is. It's, let's face it, and, and you know, it's beneath Soderbergh. But Logan Lucky's not beneath Soderbergh. It's actually a pretty good redneck heist movie if uh -huh. there is such a genre it's kind sure. of a subgenre, i guess everybody's really good in it it's got a lot of laughs the heist itself is kind of clever which is always fun and soderbergh is very good at showing that as he's shown in the oceans movies yeah uh and uh but this doesn't feel like an oceans movie at all it's a completely different thing it's uh it's very enjoyable it's very entertaining i i i'd say check it out it, it really got unfairly panned for some reason um, oh, I don't, maybe you were looking in the wrong quarters because I've I've seen uh, I've actually heard the opposite. Like I've heard a lot of people that movie got good reviews, or maybe the reviews itself. But then I I've seen a lot of when people look back on the year, mm -hmm. a lot of praise for that film. It was like, yeah. you know, it was really good. It was Logan Lucky. So uh, yeah, I think I think people should review that movie. I I don't know what people were expecting from from Soderbergh. I mean, but on or from a film like that, but seemed to have delivered perfectly on its on its premise it it hit all its notes the characters were all consistent and well played and entertaining and uh and it, everything kind of paid off it didn't leave a lot of loose threads except the possibility that there may be a sequel which there won't be because nobody freaking saw it <laughs> yeah okay but uh but having said that it's a good movie i highly recommend it uh 
Dunkirk. There's a little film. Have oh, you seen that, well, little, we, that little tiny... Yeah, we forgot to talk about Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Dunkirk's an interesting... Uh, that's an interesting one to talk about. We should say that, because Dunkirk's a movie that I... I admire more than I liked mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that uh, it's there's some very impressive filmmaking going on in there. Um, the story left me a little cold. <laughs> right. I guess well, it's just one of those things where like yeah, it was a great heroic a little bit. It's know? a very intense cinematic experience. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much I would care to like just hang out on my couch and watch Dunkirk. Right. Well, it would be interesting. It depends on the, on the, the, the quality of your uh, theater system at home, Steve. I mean, but, you could study it. It's, uh, right. you know, it, it's an odd movie. It's, first of all, I went into that only knowing the, like, briefest synopsis of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's fascinating because it's a war movie that's entirely about retreating. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, like it's literally running it, away. The it's movie. like the battle has already been lost. <laughs> it's just a question of... How many people can right. we get out of Dodge before they get killed? Right, right, right. And uh, and the answer is quite a few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another uh, great uh, Tom Hardy mask performance, oh, I will say. Yeah, Steve, absolutely, absolutely. Tom Hardy is beginning is really seeming like the actor who does his best work in covered <laughs> with a partially covered face, you know? Ah, and, and, it's unfair uh, to the... Uh, the versatile Tom Hardy. Uh, well, God bless. I love I love that guy, but it is it is kind of funny that he opts to do that. But it's true, you know. He, he plays a pilot basically in real time in the film, and, and you know he's up he's flying around in his little little freaking propeller plane. But so Dunkirk, I guess, it's interesting to me in that given what I said. So it's like someone asked, like, is it a good movie or not? I think it's a good movie. Okay. No, I think Dunkirk is a good movie. I mean, I think it, it does, it, it, it really stays away from virtually any war movie cliche. Yeah. And it also genuinely tries to present things without any background or subtext. So, so uh, you know, you, you sort of stick with the characters exactly as they're going through their stuff. You know nothing about their 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 backgrounds or their character types that he stays away from that very heavily as well there's not a lot of archetypes in the film you yeah know, the world world war ii archetypes are you know you could see them in virtually any world war ii movie just turn one on you'll see you know the gruff sergeant the newbie all that stuff you'll you'll see that in every movie this movie doesn't exist all that gets thrown out, yeah, um, and that that makes it interesting. So yeah, I, I know what you're saying. It's it's a little bit like algebra, you know. You it's hard to love it, yeah. <laughs> but you have to admire its precision and also the way the film's structured. is very interesting. I mean, I certainly felt in terms of execution, like it felt like a movie made by someone who very much knew what they were doing and put up on screen what they wanted to put on screen. You know, like it's a complicated technical film, and you feel that Christopher Nolan like. That's what he wanted you to mm-hmm. see, you know. It's right. not, and uh, it also it did a good job for me about um, like it, it's very sad to me in a way about the waste of war. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. there's the old cliche that every move every war movie is like kind of an anti-war movie, but you know when you watch people like even large amounts of casualties in a battle, like it can be sad, but it's also like you know at least they were fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, this movie had where like people in this movie, they're they're deaths that occur just by like bad luck and horrible yeah. chance, you know, and just yeah. people in the wrong place. And after the battle's essentially over, and it's just kind of sad that like in 
don't know, I've thought about that before, about how, like, one of the saddest aspects to me in general of um, just flat-out war is how, like, when a war occurs, you know, apart from, obviously, people die in war, but then there's these deaths that are just... Just seem like such a shame because they're just right. there's no point to them at all. Yeah, random, random. Yeah, it, and, and it's the type of thing that happens. Yeah, you know, that, death I, by friendly fire. Death, yeah, death during yeah. accidents while training. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, absolutely. And and you do think about that in that film quite heavily. And uh, it's a very cathartic experience, also, or maybe I should say visceral because it is very. It's uh, it's kind of nonstop. It. For, yeah, yeah, the two yeah. hours that. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it, you, you personally feel a little beaten down. You're on the edge of your seat. Yeah. You're kind of on the edge of your seat just from the physicality of what's happening, but it's a realistic physicality. It's not, you know, like the rock jumping from skyscraper to skyscraper, which he'll be doing uh, very soon in a movie. I mean, Uh, I do that all the time. I don't know why you're telling me that's uh, not all the time anymore, Steve, but Ah, uh, it's not as much as I used to, but you know what I mean? It's like realistic. You get like, you realize like. You know, what happens when a plane strafes a beach, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, how does that actually feel? You've seen that in many movies, but in that movie, you kind of like, whoa, I, I feel that. That's uh, that's very interesting. The movie also had what I would almost, uh, I guess you'd call them admirable cowards. Right. Like, like people who Killian just, Murphy. <laughs> well, there are multiple characters who display cowardice, right. but they're not, usually in a movie like that, like, the coward is such a, like, stockpile scumbag yeah you know that there'll be like some weasley character and this shows how like given the circumstances people who might otherwise be decent right kind of discover that you know what turns out i'm actually not that brave (laughs) very true and also it shows how that same person in a different circumstances could act like a hero sure and so it just basically shows it's like it's almost random, you know, to the, like how people can be can do heroic things and then five minutes later be total pieces of shit. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, extreme circumstances and you don't know how you don't always know how you're going to react. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of this this like like uh, existing under extremists that uh, that most people don't really understand so so yeah dunkirk is definitely worth seeing again i'm with you i'm not sure how it would play on a smaller screen but on a large screen and i think i saw it in imax on a large screen i thought it was it was pretty awesome and definitely deserves at least some technical awards and talking about technical awards got to talk about blade runner 49 2049 yeah uh, which the 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 literally asked by Nobody sequel to, to Blade well, Runner. Who wanted a sequel to Blade Runner? It's one of the most unique sequels of all time, I would say. That it's, uh, you know, just, I don't know if there's anything quite like it. Like, it's a sequel to a movie that is essentially a cult movie. Right. I mean, it came out, it wasn't a tiny movie when it came out, but it was not not a huge success critically or financially. <laughs> right, right. Certainly grew in stature and reputation since yes, then. Yes, enormously. But uh, you know, the sequels come out way way later. Right. And um it, it certainly exists within the world of the first Blade Runner, mm-hmm. but uh it's not a a fan cash in. I don't know about you when I heard they were doing a sequel, you know, I I I thought the worst. Mm-hmm. You know, like I thought it was going to be just like a horrible 
callback. I just didn't want it. I, yeah. Like, I didn't want him to trample on my childhood. I did yeah. not want, you know, like, like what George Lucas did with the prequel. There was this special little magical thing that really awoke my love for cinema, and and, and it, it has a lot of meaning for me, and uh, I didn't want the sequel, but... The sequel is pretty good. It is. It's uh, it's fascinating. It uh, it's it is a little slow paced, but yeah. with moments it of intense tighter, action. Yes, uh, it's gorgeous. Which uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't know who shot it going in, and I'm like watching the film, being like, "This is a good looking movie. It's <laughs> gorgeous." And then I see at the end, oh yeah, Roger Deakins, which I'm at the, you know. Roger Deakins. Well, Everything that guy touches to me looks fantastic. That guy is the greatest cinematographer in the world and a uh, well-deserved title at this point. And, uh, and and this is a good time for cinematography, so it's not like he's competing in, a, in an empty No, no. But, but uh, it's it's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. And yeah. I, I've seen it a couple of times on the big screen. I saw it one time on IMAX. And, man, it, it was just stunning. It, stunning, hypnotic, original imagery. They're not trying to recreate Blade Runner by no. any stretch of the ima- imagination. They're trying trying to push it forward. Uh, I didn't like everything about the film. I, you know, I, I didn't particularly care for the ending that much, to be honest with you, but uh, but it was a hell of a ride. It was a visual feast, and uh, it was intelligent. And yeah, and it's, about it I just you know, in a strange way, it's the perfect sequel to Blade Runner, because just like Blade Runner... Um, the reviews were a little mixed. Mm-hmm. Some of them mostly positive, a little That's mixed. Right. Uh, it was more or less a bomb. More or less. <laughs> like, yeah. it did not make a lot yeah. of money. But already, among chatter of both friends of mine and just online, among people who are, like, really, you know, cinephiles, yeah. it's already kind of gotten a little rep of, like, you know, Blade Runner was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I think it's an admired film. Yeah. I, I don't think it was a, I mean, it was an artistic success. I mean, it just was. It's an artistic success. You can't deny it. And uh, and I think it will have its own kind of little mini cult. Maybe not the Blade Runner level cult, but uh, certainly uh, it'll it'll approach it. And like I said, uh, you know, if the Academy Award does not go to Roger Deakins for best cinematography that year. There's really, it's just, they should just scrap the whole category. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I would agree with you, except that I feel like I've said that same sentence about Roger Deakins' work <laughs> like seven times in my yeah. life. So and at this point, time, I kind yeah. of just expect him to not yeah, win. Yeah. Uh, but that said, I don't necessarily know that he has as strong competition now. Like, at least in the other... It's a lot of the other years where Roger Deakins has been nominated uh-huh. and lost, he's been up against... You know, there's people like Roger... El, Rob, um, Ellswit, who's done... There Will Be Blood. John Ellswit. Yeah, is uh-huh. that... Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson's DP. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Or... Um, Chivo? Oh, okay. yeah. Lebeski? Uh, Emmanuel Lebeski? Yeah, or Emmanuel Lebeski, who I think he's... Has he won two or three... Anyway, but, two, yeah. but those movies look great. I mean, yeah, they're I, amazing. I'm and not like, oh boy, Emmanuel Lebeski is a. Hack. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's you a know? great. <laughs> it's a great feel. Like there's lots yeah. of great DPs out there. But that said, I mean, Roger, Roger Deakins has been making gorgeous looking movies yeah. for decades yeah. at this point, and he's made the switch from film to, to digital, digital brilliantly, seamlessly. Yeah, yeah, and and again, I mean, like the stuff in Blade Runner, literally some of the most beautiful imagery I've ever seen in cinema, period. And uh, that's saying something, you know what I mean? I think pound for pound, it's a prettier movie than the original Blade Runner. Uh, and uh, 
boy, that's uh, that's saying something yeah. for me. I'm and so... I, you know, I continue to, I, I really want to dislike Ryan Gosling just strictly <laughs> for being so handsome. <laughs> but uh, I love Ryan Gosling at this yeah. point. Like, I mean, I find him charming. I find him to be a good actor. I feel like he, for the most part, picks interesting projects. Yeah, I agree. And uh, this continues that trend that you're like. It sure does. And he's you know, good at this laconic thing. I mean, he's extremely laconic in this movie. And he was also, you know, in The Driver, which we, we also, or I'm sorry, Drive. Drive. Yeah, yeah. Which we mentioned earlier sure, in the yeah. podcast. Uh, he was extremely laconic in that, and he's very good at that. I, I'm kind of surprised by the fact that the new Clint Eastwood may be Ryan Gosling. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, have seen that coming, but yeah. it seems to be true. No no offense to Mr. Eastwood. Uh, he's a little more versatile. Well, I, as an actor, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. Yeah, I agree with you. He is he is more versatile. I put him up in a piano duel, Clint versus uh, Ryan. <laughs> if you're just talking well, about he music, would lose that one. Musical yeah. abilities, yes, he would lose that one. Absolutely. But but again, solid Blade Runner, and uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad they didn't ruin my childhood with that one. Always nice to hear. <laughs> So that might be about all we have for now. We might yeah. we'll see if we come back with a little Oscar preview pod. I know people tend to like those. We got some thoughts. We didn't you anyone who listened to this whole thing noticed we didn't really discuss. We avoided the Maybe Oscar Dunkirk choices. is the only one you Dunkirk. could call kind of one of the contender yeah, movies. That's right. But, uh, that's right. Well, we can talk about that down the line. Yeah. But for now, I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin. All right, we'll see you soon.